Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Luke Stutters. Hello. We also have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. And we have a special guest this week, Jeremy Evans. Hello, everybody. Now, before we get rolling, we were going to talk about your book, but we just didn't quite get it in time to be ready for that. So we're going to talk about Rhoda because Rhoda is awesome. In the meantime, do you want to tell people where they can find your book and what it's about real quick? Okay, so the book's called uh, Polish Review Programming. You can buy it on Amazon. I'm sure there's plenty of other places. It's published by Pact, which is a major technical book publisher. It's mostly about uh, Ruby programming principles, sort of trade-offs and different approaches. So it covers basically some more basic things like how to you know, best use variables, method arguments, things like that. Later in the book, it talks about higher level design, how to design libraries, plugin systems, refactoring, testing, optimization, things like that. There's a small part at the end of the book where it sort of goes over some basic principles for a productive Ruby web programming. So that's uh, sort of the book in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can go check it out. We'll probably wind up covering it here in a month or so. And in the meantime, yeah, let's dive in and talk about Rhoda. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. I'm a little curious, Luke and Dave, have you guys done anything with Rhoda? I no, I do, I do Sinatra. It's, it's, a, it's confession time. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I've heard of it, of course, but I've not, I've not done a, a product with it. And I'm pretty much in the same boat. But you know, then again, I could say the same about Hamani, Sinatra, Grape, and the other ones as well. So I've pretty much stuck with Rails and Action View. But I am very curious about Rhoda because I do have some headless projects that don't really need a web front end that they'll be served by another means. So I think Rhoda could be a viable API resource. So I'm, I do have a couple of questions I want to dive into at some point. Great. Yeah. So I'll chime in. I've done a bit with Rhoda, played with it a whole bunch. I had a guy I was working with that really, really loved it. And so, yeah, so we get in and, and geek out about it. One of the things that I like about it that's really simple is, or really nice about it is just all the routing and handling and everything on it is really, really simple. It was really easy to kind of skim through the file and see what's going on and 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 handle things the way that I wanted to. And then it kind of left me free to break up any logic I was handling on the back end however I wanted to, right? So if you're looking for kind of the hyper-structured Rails type of thing, I didn't really get that from Rhoda, but it was nice because, yeah, for the most part, if it was an API thing or even an HTML thing, I could build out the services in whatever way I wanted and then essentially just put it into that really clean, simple structure to, to make things work. So... 
anyway, that's what I liked about it. But maybe we should talk a little bit more about what it is and what it does. And I think, Jeremy, I think you're the, the person to kind of give us the elevator elevator pitch on Rota. All right. So, yeah, Rota is a web framework for Ruby, currently like the, probably the fourth most popular web framework after uh, Rails, Sinatra, and Grape passed a million downloads earlier this year. So uh, that was uh, that was good. I was uh, very happy. Yay! <laughs> So um, what separates Rhoda from a lot of other Ruby web frameworks, and Rhoda shares this with some other, I would call, instance-based routing frameworks like Cuba and Syro, um, is that Rhoda is designed about this thing called a routing tree, where in most other web frameworks, uh, you know, Sinatra, Rails, et cetera, you basically have your route, and then you have your route handling, and the two are separated. So while the web framework is doing the routing, you basically have no control over that. You're not doing anything with it. You specify sort of the routes and where they go, but what happens in the meantime, you have no control over. So what Rota does basically is it breaks the routing process down. And when you write uh, basically an application in Rota, you're basically writing the router for it. And then while it's routing, you can also handle the request. And the advantage of this is that, let's say you have a URL structure like, um, let's say you're doing a music application and you have like albums slash some album ID, one, three, whatever, slash, and a whole bunch of things after that. So adding artists, finding similar albums, everything like that. Well, the advantage of Rota is that when you're doing this, like as soon as you get to the part where you're getting the album, you write that part, you get the album's ID, you can immediately look the album up and make decisions based on that. And those decisions can actually affect the routing that goes on. So different parts of, depending on, let's say, the type of album, you have different things you want to allow. Um, those can actually be different parts of the routing tree. So it allows you to basically change how everything is routed on an instance basis. So every request can be routed differently depending on how you're handling it. In most cases, you don't need to do that. But that, that's the main advantage is it allows you to, to simplify things and by doing things once at a top level instead of either... The, way you have to do it if you don't do this, like in Rails, you can either have a before filter, so like a before action thing, where you basically put the logic that you're doing before multiple actions somewhere else, where it's different and it's not obvious where it is, and you have to look where it is. And if you do a lot of things like that, it gets very complex because there's all these different before filters and what they're doing. With Rota, it's basically very much laid out. You can read the your routing tree top to bottom, follow the logic. It's very simple to see what's going on at every point. The other alternative is, like in Sinatra, you can kind of do it with before filters, but I think in Sinatra, it's probably more common to just have the same logic in every route that needs it, which ends up being quite repetitive. So the advantage of Rota basically is you get shared route logic without having the logic sort of elsewhere where you have, might forget about it or not realize what's going on. So the other advantage of Rota is it's extremely fast. One of the reasons for this is it does bare minimum it, it needs to when it's setting things up. So Rails has a huge amount of things it does before it even will handle and route your request, and then even more stuff it does before it actually handles the request. Sinatra is less than that, but Sinatra's router is sort of a linear lookup of the list of routes, so it doesn't scale to large numbers of routes, which is probably okay, because in most cases, people using Sinatra only have a small number of routes. But it, even even if you only have a single route, there's substantially more setup that Sinatra does compared to Rota. Rota is extremely minimal. Now, the other, the other main advantage of Rota is it's designed on an extremely small core, and then everything else that you need is added as a plugin to that core. 
So like by default in Rota, you basically only have the router. So you, you don't have like template rendering as a plugin. Otherwise, the base of Rota is pretty much just a router. So you can just route things um, and then return basically string bodies and those are returned. With the most commonly used plugin is probably the render plugin. Um, that's for rendering like HTML, ERB files to HTML. There's also, if you're doing an API, as Dave mentioned, the JSON plugin uh, would probably be the most common uh, to use in that thing. And that way you can just like return an array of objects and it will automatically convert it to JSON. So that's sort of the, the elevator pitch for Rhoda is it's uh, small, it's simple, it's fast, and it's very flexible. It doesn't force you into one way of doing things. If you're not sure how to do it, there's sort of a, um, I'd say a configuration sort of recommendation, like, hey, if you're not sure how you want to do it, you can do it this way. And some of my applications look like that, but some of them look quite different depending on the needs of the application. It's not like one size fits all, like your Rails were going off the rails is very painful. It's very flexible in terms of make it easy to do whatever is best for your application. Yeah, I just want to, Yeah, I think it's hard for people to visualize sort of the routing stuff that you're talking about. If you go to rota.jeremyevans.net, kind of walks you through that. But you have the bar chart for the speed. And I think that's easy for us to talk to and kind of explain to people, right? And so you've got Rails API uh, serving about 1,200 uh, requests per second. And then you've got Rhoda serving about 12,000 requests per second, which, yeah, you mean, know, is, is, is pretty telling, you know, and you've got the other ones in there, too. Yeah. So just so you know, that benchmark is basically you. It's not a full like request with a web server. That's like basically just the framework itself. However, if you do look at full benchmarks with the web server and all that set up, like um, I don't know if you've heard of like the tech and power framework benchmarks. It's not specific to Ruby. That's sort of a wide variety, like hundreds of different web frameworks from a wide variety of programming languages on real hardware, uh, full requests, that sort of thing. But the same basic idea is still true. For very simple requests with no database interaction, um, Rota can be 10 times faster than Rails. For more, uh, I think, real requests, like uh, like one query, for example, Rota is probably still at least four or five times faster faster than Rails. This, this would be the combination of like Rota and SQL. I can tell you in my personal experience, like converting a reasonably sized application from Rails to Rota, uh, Rota was about twice as fast and used probably uh, one half to two thirds of the memory. So that's sort of what you're looking for. Apples to apples comparison in a real production application, probably about twice as fast and probably, let's say about two thirds of the memory used. That helps. Thanks. And so what is the target application that Rhoda fits or solves the problem for? So if we're talking about a small application that we're going to throw in a Raspberry Pi to do some IoT stuff, but we need a web front end or maybe some kind of API versus having a large multi-tenant application backed by a corporation, that is going to be ongoing development for years on end. That's going to have hundreds of controllers, hundreds of models. At what point would Rhoda kind of break down and you would say, you know what, we should probably have done this in this other kind of language or framework? <laughs> Never. <laughs> so the idea of Rhoda basically is, is that the core is exceptionally small. It scales down to Raspberry Pi. But the plugins you can build on that would allow it to expand out to 
basically anything that Rails can handle, Rota can handle. The main reason to, to go with something like Rails instead of Rota is not technical. The main reason is you're, you're using libraries that, that are Rails specific. You're, you have programmers that know Rails and don't know Rota. And those are real, I mean, I'm a manager. Those are real significant concerns. Often the um, network effects, if you will, are much more important than the actual technical ability. But in terms of technical ability, Rota and the plugins it ships with allow you to basically scale not only as far as Rails, but in terms of performance, significantly farther than Rails. All right. And All right. Jeremy, why do you hate Rails? What, <laughs> what did DHH do to you? <laughs> I was actually a Rails user for, for many years. I mean, I, I think like most people that started with Ruby, I started using Ruby late 2004, probably started using Rails early 2005. Use Rails for probably, I think, nine years. So I have a lot of experience with Rails. I will say most of my Rails applications were probably, I, I would say, Rails 1 style, as opposed to the later versions of Rails. I'm um, even the one, I think I stopped using Rails probably around Rails 4 something. But even then, the applications themselves were very much in the Rails 1 style of code. Again, I don't necessarily think Rails is bad. I just, I was using Rails for a while. I was using Sinatra for many years as well. I basically, when I was still using Rails, I started using Rails, I guess, in 2005. Up to about 2008, it was probably my favorite thing. And then I found out about Sinatra. And Sinatra really much clicked with me. I thought I, I found Sinatra much easier to understand. I had to specify the route, how it's handled. I don't need all the extra complexity in Rails. That was sort of my, my real switch from, from Rails to Sinatra. And I still have Rails applications that I maintain. But all the new applications I was developing would be developed in Sinatra. And that went on for quite a few years. And then in 2014, I found out about Cuba. So Cuba is sort of one of the original, uh, I would say, they didn't call it a routing tree framework, but a framework that uses the same idea, this instance-based routing where every request is just yielded to a block and you call methods yourself in order to route the requests. So Rota was basically, it's a fork of Cuba, and it basically makes Cuba, it basically mashes Cuba and Sinatra together and has a plugin system is sort of how it works. It tries to take the best uh, elements of both. And I tried doing this, um, tried converting some internal applications I had, and I found out it, it dramatically simplified how they were created, um, especially uh, in Sinatra where I would have very nested routes, like one of the applications that I, I deal with at work, there's reports, and each report has recommendations, and each of those recommendations has responses, and the, the URL structure is very much tied that, like report X, recommendation Y, response Z, for example. And all the code that handled these like recommendations and responses had all this setup code for, you know, redundant setup code for get the report and the recommendation and the response. And it was dramatically simplified by using this nested routing tree structure. I found out pretty much everything that I've done ends up being simpler in Rota, or at least the only cases where it's not really not simpler in Rota is basically it's the same as Sinatra. So for extremely small application with a few routes, Rota is really not any different than Sinatra from a development perspective, it's just faster. But for any large application, the advantage of the routing tree that Rota offers makes application design simpler, in my experience. And is there a reason why, as of today, Rota still appears as a fork of Cuba on GitHub? So is yeah, a... I've had a lot of questions about that over the years. I think it's very important to like represent that this I'm building on the shoulders that Cuba sort of built up by itself. And Cuba itself is 
based on ideas from a early, uh, very early framework called RUM, which was built by the same person that developed Rack itself. But I, 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 this has actually been an issue because GitHub treats forks differently than it treats other things. So like if you search for things in GitHub, sometimes we're like, I don't think Brother doesn't show up because it's listed as a fork. But I think it, I found it was more important to be represent that, yes, this builds on Cuba. I don't want to like take credit for like building this all by myself. The ideas, the basic ideas here were not my ideas in terms of the routing tree idea. That was taken, lifted 100% from Cuba, which again, borrowed its, itself the idea from Rum. So uh, I think Leah Nikurjan, the, the author of Rack itself, was the person that originally designed this idea um, where you basically have a block and the block itself does the routing and integrates it with the request handling. And if we were to create a new Roto application and just pull in virtually every plugin that's shipped with it by default, at what point would we get closer to the speed of a Rails application at that point? If we brought in everything? So I'm fairly sure even if you loaded every single plugin that Roto offers, and a lot of the plugins that Roto offers are very, I would say, not maybe niche, but most applications are not going to need every plugin. I think there's over 100 plugins that it ships with. I'd say most applications, even my own applications, I mean, 20 or 30 would be a fairly large application. might use 20 or 30 of the plugins. Um, and which 20 or 30 are probably going to differ substantially between the applications. But yeah, even if you look at all of them, I'm sure it'd be significantly faster than Rails and probably still faster than, than Sinatra. Cool. Yeah, I mean, most, most, of the app, most of the plugins, the way they work, unless you're calling the plugin methods, just by loading them doesn't take in anything out of you. There's a few plugins that tie in like, like before all actions check this or after all actions check that. Those will have a small performance effect, but probably not too major. So I don't think that, I don't. I, I would not expect it to, to significantly decrease performance. Uh, and in many cases, there probably will be no, most plugins, there will be no difference if you loaded them because unless you're calling the methods they add, there's no effect. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. On the issue of forking, so a lot of times forks are managed by, it's essentially, yeah, I grabbed it at whatever version it was at when I started. And then the fork means I've never looked back. And sometimes the fork means, yeah, so we add all this stuff on top and periodically merge the old one back in, right? So so what's the approach here with Rhoda? So when I was first working with Cuba, I liked it. Again, I like the routing tree structure, but I didn't like exactly how it worked. Like I like if you've used a Sinatra, Sinatra, you can just return directly, like whatever your route block returns, if it returns a string or you call the ERB method to return a string, that's returned as the request body. And that just, it's so nice to do that. With uh, the way Cuba works, you have to call like response.write for everything, which I just, I found incredibly annoying. And I wanted the ability to at least configure that. But the way Cuba's designed, they weren't really amenable, not just to making that change by default, but for allowing things like a plugin system where you can add it yourself easily. So one of the, one of the primary things in Rode is it's built around this plugin system. So you can add things like that easily, but the default behavior is much more like Sinatra, where the route blocks themselves, um, whatever the last, whatever the route block returns, that's returned as the request body. So that's sort of the main, that was probably the main reason for the fork. Now, since the fork, basically, Cuba's still going. I mean, uh, it doesn't get, there's not a lot of additions. It's Cuba's, I guess, you call it very stable in terms of the API 
has not changed pretty much at all since I forked um, from it. It's basically the same stuff. There's been a few things added, but it's very, very stable in terms of there's very few changes being made to it. The author of Cuba ended up writing a different router called Syro. That's sort of the same idea, but more like a breakage of the API because he didn't want to. He, he values very much. This is Michelle Martin's. He values very much uh, keeping things the same, not breaking the API, which I think is, is, is really good. So that's sort of why it was forked. Now, after it was forked, I do occasionally look at Cuba over the years. I've picked some things that have been added to Cuba after the fork um, and added them as plugins to Rota. But in, in most cases, they've sort of gone their separate ways. But a Cuba application, again, the routing tree part is similar to a Rota application, but it doesn't have any, any of the plugins um, themselves for it. So it's different in that way. So let's say that my friend Dave here wants to start an app, right? I've heard this fairly recently. But yeah, so let depending on the app he wants to build, I mean, what approach do you take to starting an app with Rota? Okay, so um, you can use Rota. I mean, you can, like the simple example that's on the front page of the website basically is like single file config RU basic Rota application. Probably not something you're going to do for any application of considerable size. If you're doing something in production, you're going to want, you're going to want some structure. Again, if you're not sure what you're going to do, especially if you're starting out with Rota, there's a configuration guide that comes in Rota's documentation that sort of lays out, hey, here's how you could do it, structure it. If you want something that's more set up for you, like a lot of people are used to like Rails new, whatever, and it builds this entire directory structure with everything that you it thinks that you'll need. Rota's approach is different. I really don't like maintaining like templates that build uh, files, especially since Rota's file structure and files themselves are so simple. There's not really a need for like an advanced generator. So what I offer instead is something called Rails SQL Stack, which is a Git. It's a Git repository, basically. You clone it, uh, you run rake in it, and basically it takes the, the cloned you know, Git repository and builds the application for you. So that it sets up everything you'll need, like models, views, routes. Rota, because it's a routing tree, like Cuba by itself, all the routes have to fit in one block, which sort of, you could design an entire application where all our application code is in a single block of code, but it's probably not something most people are gonna wanna do. So one of the first uh, plugins that I added to Rota was something where you can split up the routing tree into multiple blocks. And you can think of those blocks, they're usually put in separate files, we often call them route files. And they operate sort of similar to what you would think of as a controller in uh, Rails. So basically, this file handles this branch of the routing tree, and this other route file handles this other branch of the routing tree. So the, the Rota SQL stack is set up like that. So you have basically each of your top-level branches in your routing tree is in a different file uh, for easier management, keep everything sort of sane. You can go further than that. I mean, uh, you can have nested things. Um, for very large applications, you might want nested routing trees, and you can do things like that. But for a basic, you know, I would say average size uh, Rota application, Rota SQL stack basically gives you everything you need up front, reloading all that jazz. So um, you basically clone it, uh, you run a rate command in it, it sort of basically renames the application from like app to my app to whatever you want to name it to, and then you can build from there. So I have, uh, I have quite a few Sinatra apps in production. Uh, the reason I use, like to use Sinatra is because a lot of these times the 
application is hosted at a manufacturing facility and is often offline or semi semi online and really i don't want to be constantly updating it a lot of this stuff runs for two years before it kind of gets poked and like i'm sure you did i kind of moved from rails to sinatra thinking well i don't need this all i need is an endpoint to do this to move this box somewhere how would i transition from Rhoda. So I'm using the reason I like Sinatra is because it handles a lot of the complexity which I don't want to deal with. I don't want to deal with uh, authentication. I don't want to deal with cookies. I don't want to deal with sessions. Well, you're talking about All Sinatra right. and why you're using Sinatra at these things that you, you know, go to every two years. So yeah, I've got a lot of these kind of lighter weight, but really quite sophisticated apps. And we're talking about a thousand to two thousand lines of code, very conventional Sinatra thing. But Sinatra handles cookies sessions, streaming, things like server-side events, which I don't want to deal with. I, I want the framework to do that for me. So, uh, But I can see that, yeah, Rhoda's got some interesting ideas. I love the idea of falling through an endpoint. So I think my understanding of it, looking at it, is in Sinatra, suppose I want to have, say, three categories of boxes that are nested, combined, so I potentially have I don't know, uh, six combinations of those, then I could end up with kind of double digits endpoints to handle all those situations. Whereas in Rhoda, I could say, well, if it starts with this, then you can continue down this path and you can kind of say either stop right here on a route that starts with box or continue to box slash empty. So I've, I've not seen that before. It's new on me. But yeah. how 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 do I start moving these relatively stable, relatively heavy Sinatra apps onto the even lighter road of framework? Well, I would say if you have it running in Sinatra and there's not really like performance needs to change it, you might just want to keep it on Sinatra. But for the purposes of, of explanation, in terms of how you would do it, in Rhoda, basically, Rhoda is, I mean, again, I have a Sinatra background, so Rhoda, in a lot of ways, is like Sinatra. In terms of how you would do the, uh, the changeover, basically, you can, again, take all the routes in Sinatra and change them into a full routing tree. It sort of gives you all of the benefits of Rhoda. Let's say you just wanted the speed benefits, though, and you didn't care too much about the other parts. Rhoda has something called the class-level routing plugin, where you can basically design if you've done the classless or not sorry classy i think it's called classy sinatra where you actually you know require sinatra base i think and have a you know subclass sinatra itself and you're basically working like that you basically do the same thing you can basically do get the routes are almost the same um, you don't have a leading slash in this case but otherwise most of the things are the same if you want to have uh, i think sinatra a lot of the parameters um, usually you'd have a colon and like you usually have, you have a single string and there's a colon for each parameter. Rota supports that. There's a placeholder string, literal, I believe, plugin that allows you to have the same types of routes that you do in Sinatra. So uh, you can basically make Rota very much like Sinatra. One of the things when I was originally developing Rota, this was back when Sinatra was still 1.0, I was adding plugins to it, it with the idea that, hey, eventually you could replace Sinatra you know, a drop-in replacement almost with these plugins. But I never got around to like proposing that for Sinatra. And Sinatra it really ended up going another way because it's the router in Sinatra is based on something called 
uh, muster man for the how it handles the routes. So they sort of went a different direction. But the idea with Rode is you can basically take the few plugins you're using, make it look almost the same as Sinatra if you wanted to. I think the only major difference like inside the routes would be with Sinatra, you're calling like ERB, um, then you're usually giving it like a template name if you're doing it that way. With Rota, basically, usually you pick one sort of main template thing and you just call render and it uses the default template engine. And if you want to use a different template engine, you pass that as an option. So that would be how it's different from Sinatra. Sinatra, every time you're rendering something, you have to specify how you're rendering it, like render with ERB, which makes sense if all of your routing, if all your request handling uses different template libraries, that makes a lot of sense. But almost all applications, right. almost all the routes are going to use the same template library for rendering. So with Rota, basically, you can just do render the the template name, and it'll, it'll choose the default template engine. One thing I actually I went even further than that, there's a plugin called, I think it's uh, Symbol Views, where you just pass a symbol, um, the route block returns a symbol, and that uses the template name. So it reduces the duplication even more. So again, Rota has a lot of plugins. You basically can look through them. You can pick which ones work for you. Um, and the ones you're not using, you don't pay any penalty for, for them. Uh, this is unlike sort of with Rails where everything comes up. And if you're not using it, you're still paying the memory penalty for loading it in most cases. Well, I'm definitely going to have a go. I'm definitely going to try and move at least Great. one of them over because I thought Sinatra was fast and the, that graph on the front of the Rota websites, that's quite a graph. That's yeah, well, quite again, a graph. Again, and the, the, so the graph is based on a benchmark library called R10K, which te- tests up to 10,000 routes in the same application. Now, if you're using Sinatra, you're probably not using 10,000 routes in your application. I mean, even a fairly large Rails application probably doesn't have 10,000 routes in it. Um, but this is the point of this benchmark is to show how it scales. So it benchmarks at like 10 routes, 100 routes, 1,000 routes, and 10,000 routes. And you can see sort of how the each of libraries handle these increasing number of routes. Well, unfortunately for Sinatra, because it uses a linear lookup for its routes, going from 1,000 routes to 10,000 routes is like 10 times longer. Whereas with Rhoda, it's like a, instead of going up that way, instead of being a linear increase, it's almost like I want to say, like, instead of being like n, it'd be more like log n. So it would be like, you know, going from 1,000 to 10,000 increases it maybe 20%, 30%, something like that. So it really depends on how you're doing the routes. I mean, if you used Rota and you had all the routes sort of literally, you would basically have the same issue. But in most cases, applications, the way they're written, the URLs basically form a tree structure. You're not usually using a, a linear lookup um, where every route is different. Usually routes are nested, there's a tree structure, and it's easy to break up the routing tree into different ways like that. And that way you're basically, your lookups in a lot of cases are just individual, like at this branch of the routing tree, there's probably only 10 options, in which case going through them in order is actually faster even than looking them up in a hash. For a huge number of routes, uh, Roto ships with a hash routes plugin. So if you do have 10,000 routes at the top level, you can stick them all on a hash and route them in 01, basically, to make that exceptionally fast. But it, it, I would say in most cases, you don't even need to do that. It's actually fastest. I think you would probably have to have, probably, I think it's, I think I did some benchmarking, somewhere between 30 and 50 routes 
like route segments possible at each step before it even makes sense to use a hash because the routing lookup part is so fast. Even the hash lookup takes longer unless you have sort of 30 or 50 uh, things you're looking for. And I have a wrote a question more directed about you, Jeremy. And that is, how has Rota changed you as a developer? Has it changed the fundamental way that you approach writing a class or writing code in general? I don't think it's changed the way I, I write. I mean, changed the way I write web applications because the the techniques or the you know the structure is, is a little bit different than obviously for us not sure, especially compared to Rails. But I don't think it's changed me. A lot of the Rotus thing was sort of I mean, Rota is basically a bunch of blocks nested. If you look at the Rota routing tree, it's basically a bunch of nested blocks. Some people are fine with that. I mean, I'm fine with that. But some people don't like that. Um, one of the things I've heard, I've heard, heard it referred to as block soup. So, because <laughs> there's just basically it's all nested blocks. It's there's not Yum. a lot of nested. That sounds um, tasty. I want some block soup. Yeah. So if you want to, if you're the type of person that wants like to test each endpoint individually, like if you think of like a controller test in Rails, that's not something that Rota really lends itself to because there's not it's not like a separate part. You'll the only way to get to that block is to go through the entire routing tree. So Rota basically is set up for like integration style testing. That's what it's set up for. It's not, not set up for controller type testing. Now when I did Rails development, I never did controller testing because I didn't think it added any value. Um, so I personally don't consider that a negative, but some people might. But yeah, to get back to your to your question, Dave, I don't think it's changed how I do development. I mean, it, it showed me this, when I, when I first read about Cuba, it showed me this new way to handle web application development, and that really opened my eyes. Um, but I don't think it's changed how I do development in terms of designing classes and things like that. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software, and what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit Raygun.com to resolve issues faster and deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. One thing that I... Oh, did you have a follow-on, Dave, before I change the subject? No, no, that's great. I appreciate your response. All right, so I'm going to ask, I need device, right? Or pick your favorite convenient plug-in, you know, carrier wave, right? That makes things really, really easy. I just run a generator and then I have authentication, right? And I didn't have to write it. I don't have to maintain it. I sort of trust that it's safe, right? Or carrier wave, same kind of thing, right? It handles uploads, blah, 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 makes things very happy and, and healthy for me. You're talking about some of the plugins that Rota has. Do some of them operate at this level or do most of them operate more at the, hey, we're adding in ERB support or JSON support or things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think those like authentication framework level. Um, like you mentioned devise. And I, I think one of the main points you mentioned is I, there's these large applications or, or engines or whatever it is for mm -hmm. Rails that I can use. Uh, can I get something similar to Rota? 
So I, I like I do like the two examples you, you gave. One is devise. And again, Rota itself doesn't come up with something similar to devise, but there is an authentication framework designed for Rota called Rodoth, which I developed. Um, right. Which is basically not just devise, because people think devise it handles all your authentication needs. No, <laughs> it handles like password authentication. If you mm-hmm. want two-factor authentication, pick any sort of 10 different device plugins and hope they're maintained. WebAuthn, there's probably something for that. Uh, TOTP, there's something for that. If you need JSON support or JWTs, separate device plugins for those. Device has very little built in other than like login, bog standard with a password. Yeah, so just to... Just to jump on that, we were doing some JWT authentication on one of the apps that I work on for my full-time job. And yeah, it was, okay, how do we make this work with device? And I think we wrangled stuff for like two or three days because the plugin hadn't been maintained before we had something that actually did what we wanted, right? And and so, yeah, I hear what you're saying there. Yeah, so Rodoth, the, the authentication framework, is designed in a lot of, a lot of ways like Rota itself. So the uh, Rodoth basically by default is a blank core. No features are loaded. You can't really do anything with the core itself. Everything from login, creating accounts, verifying accounts, two-factor authentication, and that's like SMS authentication, TOTP authentication, recovery codes, WebAuthn, using WebAuthn for login with no passwords, email authentication for like password authentication where you just get emailed links if you want to log in. Every feature supports both JSON API, and if you want to use JWTs, you can use JWTs. All that's built in. It's all tested at the same time. You don't need to worry about separate plugins that may or may not be, you know, external stuff that may or may not be retained. It's all built in and supported. So basically in the same way Rhoda's plugins are tested. One of the advantages, I think, of Rhoda compared to like Sinatra is that a lot of times in Sinatra, Sinatra doesn't come with very much. You need to go outside to get it. And then mm-hmm. if you go outside, well, is it going to be maintained? The advantage of Rota's thing is that every plugin that ships with Rota is tested at the same time Rota is. There, if there ever is an issue where we're doing a breaking change, all of the plugins that are affected are updated at the same time. So basically, if there is a change internally that affects plugins, all the internal plugins, at least, deal with it automatically. Okay, so device was one of your things. The other thing you mentioned is carrier wave. So Carrier Wave is like file uploads, I think. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. And it ties into the, typically it'll tie into a model in Rails. Yeah. But. So the for Rhoda, again, Rhodoth is also available for Rails. There's a, not internally, but there's a project called Rhodoth Rails that makes it available to Rails. In a very similar mind, Shrine is an image uploading library that handles all sorts of file uploading like Carrier Wave would handle. Significantly more modern, uh, well-developed. It's actually maintained by, uh, I think it's a Yanko Moronik. Um, mm-hmm. He's actually the technical a reviewer for my book. I specifically asked him to do it because I know how great he is. Anyways, it handles, it's very similar to Rhoda's design. It, it basically does some basic stuff and has plugins to do other things. And it handles things, works with Rhoda, it works with Rails. Again, very flexible, great software. If you're using Carrier Wave, and use something similar for Rhoda, you would definitely go with Shrine because it's it's so flexible and it, it's very well designed and developed. Oh, it's got built-in image processing too. Yep. Yeah, Shrine's a really cool library. I remember using that before Active Storage came out in Rails applications. And it definitely seemed to be 
a much more modern way of handling file uploads than you know previously carrier wave or the other methods. Well, it's also interesting. So I was building in another feature on the app that I work on at work and we needed a file upload, but it turned out that we didn't need to save it. It, it was a, an Excel upload, not, a, not an image. But yeah, it turned out that I didn't actually need carrier wave for that. So a lot of the just rack stuff will do a lot of the work for you. And so then it, what carrier wave gives you and what some of these other gives you are essentially, what do you do after you get the file? Do you save it? Do you push it to the cloud? Do you, do you process it in some way? And so, yeah, I mean, that that's where a lot of these really come in. And so I kind of like the simple approach to it where it's like, okay, here, here are some of the things we think you might want with file uploads. But for the most part, you just kind of do it how you want it. Yeah, you just store the file upload directly into the database as a blob, right? That's <laughs> that's the best way to do it. It, it depends. In some cases, <laughs> You make me so happy, Dave. <laughs> how we used to do it. Everyone's done it. Everyone's done it. I've done it. I mean, it really depends on what you're working on. I mean, if you're working on a small application, that may make the most sense. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, you're going to want to store it in the cloud. But all of that depends on sort of what application you're working on and what the constraints are. I mean, I work on a lot of applications internally that they cannot talk to the internet. If they're internal applications, they're segmented into DMZs, only people internal can access them for security. They can't even reach the internet. So you wouldn't want to store it in the cloud at that point because you can't even get to the cloud. So a lot of applications have their own constraints. And what's we, we might laugh at, hey, that's a crazy idea. No one should do that. But in a lot of cases, that is the best way to do it. Yeah, or save it to the file system. I was going to find a nice way to lie about not ever having put it in blobs, but <laughs> it wouldn't be true. So you, you've talked about plugins for Rhoda. And I guess that's another thing that People coming from a Rails or even a Sinatra to a certain degree or Hanami, you know, they may be looking at it and going, hey, it's got all these, this ecosystem around it, right? That people are building stuff for. So, so how robust is that? So in terms of robust, what do you mean when you say robust? Like, are the plugins maintained? How deep? How deep is the breadth? With what it ships with, what can you do? So there's a ton of, of plugins for it all. Those sort of the basic types uh, of plugins. So there's a bunch of plugins related to routing itself. Changes how the routing works. Adds routing features. Um, allows for splitting up the route tree separately. A whole bunch of things like that. There was someone like for type routing, like thinking uh, Rails, you can do this where you like different types. Like if you request a HTML file, you get HTML. If you request a JSON file, you get JSON. I forget how exactly it's handled in Rails. I think it's is it provides. I don't know. I don't. I haven't used Rails in so long. I've forgotten how you can be in Rails. But the same type idea. Rotor ships with a type routing plugin that basically provides the same feature as that. Uh-huh. So uh, other types of plugins. There's a lot of plugins relating to rendering things or views. There's an assets plugin, which is it's not Webpack. It's not Sprockets. It's completely separate. But it does the same things, basically. It allows you for rendering like SCSS to CSS in a way that's similar that you would do with like Sprockets or Webpack, but a lot less complex. So you basically just specify your files, uh, like your SCSS files, and we'll combine them and compress them and put them all together for you. But there's not you don't have to modify the files themselves. It's, it's something that it will handle all of that for you. So what 
again, a lot of uh, plugins run into that. You can, just like Rails provides sort of live streaming of templates, uh, Rotors provides that. With, there's a plugin called Chunk that does that. There's uh, plugins, like, if you look, say you want a content security policy, Rota has a plugin similar to the content security policy in recent versions of Rails. A lot of things for, like, modifying headers, body, that sort of thing. A lot of Rota's routing parts uh, deals with what we call matchers. So when you do, like, you do, do a branch of the routing tree, you do, like, r.on, and if you're looking at a sort of a static branch, like albums, for example, you do like r dot on string albums. Um, that's string in this case would be a matcher. Um, if you're doing like the second part of the routing tree where you're given like an album's ID, you would often do r dot on and you use the integer class. Class, assuming that your um, you know album IDs are integers and not UUIDs, that will work. Um, that way, the advantage of doing something like that is if they put in a non-integer value, it doesn't even match. So right you can go directly on to the next route and skip that one. Anyways, there's a lot of plugins related to expanding the number of matchers you can do, putting in custom matchers. You can use your own custom classes in that case, handling things like that. So Rails has um, Action Mailer and Action Mailbox for handling. Um, Action Mailer handles sending emails. Action Mailbox handles processing inbound emails. Um, Rota has a mailer and a mail, mail processor plugin to do the same things. Most of what Rails can do out of the box, Rotor ships with a plugin they can do. I think the things it doesn't handle that Rails currently does, Action Text, which I think is, I find Action Text too specific. I don't think I want to offer something like that in, in Rota. Active Storage, I don't think I'm going to do something like that in Rota either, mainly because there's already Shrine and it probably does a way better job than I would do if I tried to do it myself. So I'd recommend anyone, again, if you want image uploading, file uploading like that, use Shrine um, if your needs aren't met. Well, sort of like the basic rack stuff. Um, if you want to do like image processing, that's definitely something where you should be using Shrine. I, I kind of want to stop here just for a second. So these are all things that you said ship with Rota, correct? Yeah, these are plugins. Plugins are basically, so you think of them as like separate files that each implement like mm -hmm. one specific thing. So like right. mail, mailer plugin adds basically the ability to send emails with Rota. The assets plugin allows for rendering assets with Rota. Some of them are fairly long and large. Um, some of the plugins are fairly small, only a few lines of actual code. Mm -hmm. It depends on what, what it actually does. Right. So what if I wanted to write a plugin, right? I'm seeing something that you don't offer that's built in. Can I do that? It, it, the advantage of the way Rota works is you can basically take in any existing Rota plugin, you basically would like you could copy it, and then you could modify it. And so all of them are in a single file. Each plugin is in its own file. It's very easy to copy and modify it. The way the plugin system works, um, in a lot of cases, you're either adding uh, methods either to uh, instance methods or route or like we, what we call request methods. If you want to add routing methods um, or maybe you're adding something that's available at class level. So there's class methods. So the plugins themselves are basically just modules. So you, mm -hmm. it's like class Rota, class Rota plugins, class, whatever your your uh, plugin name is. And then like, if you want instance method to be, you know, sorry, maybe class, it would be um, like class Rota, module Rota plugins, module, whatever your plugin name is. And then it would be like module instance methods. And if you do it that way, anything in module instance methods, when you add the plugin is added as an instance method. That's a method that would be directly mm -hmm. callable inside a route block. If you okay. have like request methods, those would be methods you could call on the re request itself. 
So the way Rota works, the route block is, is yielded a single argument. The conventionists call that method R for request. And then the um, routing basically is like R.on, whatever it is. So it's like request.on this branch, request.get, whatever this is. Mm -hmm. Basically, only this route's only for get requests, things like that. If you want to add a method like that, you could add it to request methods. So that's basically how the plugin system works. It's, I guess, a little bit more complicated. Part of the book uh, that I've written, um, chapter eight, basically walks you through designing a plugin system almost exactly like the one that Rota uses. So it's basically every feature that the Rota's plugin system has, pretty much, it walks you through adding that and goes over, okay, you're doing this and then you, you we need this. So how do we add that? And it goes through the entire, let's say the vast majority of the chapter is just building the plugin system. And one of the reasons for this is I think plugin systems are so helpful. Um, I want to see them spread to more libraries. So I spent pretty much a whole chapter showing people how you design and why you design a plugin system this way to meet these needs. Because right. regardless of the library, I mean, for very small libraries, you probably don't need it. But for any large libraries, designing around a plugin system with a very small core and everything added as separate plugins makes things so much easier. Rota uses this, this design, SQL uses this design for the most case, and then Rodoth also uses a very similar design of very small core, everything else added as optional features. A shrine um, also works exactly the same way. I'm hoping this spreads further in the Ruby ecosystem. Yeah, I guess the other question I have is, is there a collection of third-party plugins that I can pull into my Rota app? Yeah, so um, there are external plugins. Um, like I said, a lot of stuff that you would need ships with Rota, but like I said, Shrine has, I believe, an external Rota plugin to integrate Shrine with Rota. Rota Auth itself, mm -hmm. um, the authentication framework, is built as a Rota plugin. There's Rota plugins for like integrating with Message Bus if you want to do like real-time streaming of things. A lot, there's Rota's documentation page lists some external plugins. There's far more internal plugins than there are external plugins, but there definitely are a significant number of external plugins as well. Yeah, I feel like we already talked about testing. I'm trying to think, uh, are there any large or or just sites that people would have heard of that are written on Rota? So in terms of applications written on Rota, one of the larger ones, <laughs> I went out of business a couple of years ago, it's called Contena. It's for Docker container management. It was written, the web part of it was written completely in Rota. I believe it's still available. Like you can look at the code that they have. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the other stuff are like, I mean, all of my production stuff is written in it, but none of, none of that's open source. So there's a lot of uh, small open source things. We just want to get a basic idea that are linked on the Rota's, Rota's documentation page. Most of them are fairly small though. I don't think there's any examples I have open source other than Katana, mm -hmm. thing that's large and spread out. I had a look at the um, the is it a, a Lila Chat example app on your GitHub. Oh, Lila Chat. If 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 I wanted to kind of do Rota right, should I look at that or should I look somewhere else? So Lila Shell, <laughs> uh, it's sort of a demo app I put together to test out various sort of real time libraries uh, for Rota. Originally, I think I did it with WebSockets, and I didn't really like the way it worked there. So Lila Shell uses Message Bus and wrote then the wrote a Message Bus plugin in order to do real-time chatting. So there's a demo site that's available if you want to play with it. It's not, no, I've never used it in production. It's sort of a proof of concept of how it works, but you can play around with it if you're uh, interested in that. Yeah. Cool. 
What if somebody wants to contribute to Rhoda? So, um, I mean, in terms of contributing, I mean, it's like, you know, basically GitHub pull requests, GitHub issues, those are both fine. For discussions, for GitHub issues, really, it tells you right on there, only use GitHub issues to report bugs in the library. So if you're posting an issue, it's expected that you'll be posting a bug report, something that's wrong with it that needs to be fixed. Because pretty much all my libraries' issues are taken with very much high priority. If you notice, most of my libraries, probably all of them actually, have zero open bugs. Because all issue requests that are actually bugs are treated with like the highest priority. For pull requests, you know, if you want to add a feature, you can certainly add it. But in most cases, the recommendation, if you just have questions or um, things that you want, you want to talk about how things are designed, there's a Google group called, I think, Ruby Rota or whatever it is that you can use to do um, sort of discussions about the library, how it works, if you have questions about how to use it, that sort of thing. It's all done through the Google group, So, which is also, in addition to being a website, you can do it completely via email if you want. So you basically send an email, um, goes out to everybody. Uh, I'll usually respond and you'll get a response. That also goes out to everybody. And one of the advantages of doing it that way, we used to have an IRC chat until, uh, what was it, Freenode blew up recently and we turned it off. And I asked and really no one else was interested in keeping in a sort of a real-time chat thing. So keeping the email-based uh, discussion group is what we have now. And I think it works pretty well. Cool. Now I got more stuff to go play with. <laughs> Great. I've got to anything ask. else. Yeah, go ahead. I've got to ask. I've got to ask a question about OpenBSD. I've got to. I've got to ask. Many people know it as the Linux that time forgot, but mm-hmm. in fact, uh, OpenBSD, I believe, is even older than Linux and oh. possibly Unix itself. Yeah. So the lineage. So OpenBSD's lineage certainly goes back older than Linux. Linux was developed early nineties, ninety one. Whoa, 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 whoa! Where did this come from? He's interested in OpenBSD. So I, I think the reason he's interested is. <laughs> I'm actually an OpenBSD developer. I was actually, I was using OpenBSD before I was even using Ruby, actually. I've been using OpenBSD for almost 20 years now. So anyways, OpenBSD. So Linux was developed early 90s, like 91, around then. OpenBSD is actually younger, OpenBSD itself. Um, It started in 95 or so. But uh, it traces the lineage back to old BSD Unix from the 70s um, and 80s and things like that. So yeah, the, the... the lineage is certainly older, but OpenBSD itself is actually younger than Linux. So what, what, what was your particular question about OpenBSD, though? Is that what you develop in? Are, are, you, are you like sitting, are you developing Rhoda in OpenBSD I, I, without anyone knowing? Currently, oh yeah. So all of my applications are developed on OpenBSD. My, my home system, my home workstation, my home, my, my personal laptop run OpenBSD. All of our servers at work run OpenBSD. So, yes, the primary development environment for all of my Ruby libraries is OpenBSD. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. I don't actually have that much Linux experience. I've used Linux a little bit. I run a few Linux VMs to test things that aren't open source. So, like, SQL's tested on Oracle. It's tested on DB2. It's tested on SQL Anywhere. I use Linux VMs for testing that sort of stuff. But otherwise, I don't have that much Linux experience, actually. SQL must be one of the most installed gems in the whole Ruby ecosystem. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's it's. I would say it's up there, but it's. I don't think even think it's in the top one hundred. It's not. It's not as popular. Uh, like outside of Rails, like if you're doing database work outside of Rails, I think it's probably the most common. But so many people are using Rails that compared to Active Record, it's probably right. Active Record is probably at least ten times more popular. Are you not tempted to? 
pull some of your libraries and see how much of the internet you can break. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, uh, it's never been my goal to see how much, how many problems I can cause. <laughs> Jeremy left Pat Evans. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I definitely, you know, I think my, 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 my most, uh, my most downloaded library now is not SQL. It's not Ruby. I um, mean, it's, it's not Rhoda. It's actually E, it's called eRuby. That's the replacement for eRuby. So it's the template library. It's the ERB template library that Rails uses by default and Sinatra uses and Rhoda uses by default. Um, it's called eRuby. I think it now probably has over 100 million downloads, but only because it's one of Rails dependencies now. Otherwise, it wouldn't have that nearly that many. So if you want, I'll tell you, if you want your your library to get popular, just make Rails depend on it. And then you're then you're set. Yeah. And don't disappear. We don't need a why the lucky Evans. <laughs> All right. I, I expect I'll be I'll be doing this for 15, 20 more years. Well, cool. It's it's been great to get to know you over the years and and I'm glad that you're here and talking to us about this. Uh, looking forward to reading your book, but I think it's time for us to get the picks. Okay. Before we do that, I usually ask people how folks can find them online, right? So we're usually looking like website, GitHub, Twitter, stuff like that. All right. So um, on GitHub, uh, it's just Jeremy Evans, all, all one word. Um, on Twitter, uh, it was already taken. So it's Jeremy Evans and then the number zero. My website, uh, which I rarely update, it's called code.jeremyevans.net. A lot of what I work on is linked from there. So yeah, the, if you're looking to reach me, that's probably best. If you have email questions, um, code at jeremyevans.net will work for that. Awesome. All right. Well, let's do some picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Dave, you got some picks? I do have some picks. So... In light of Chuck being on here, I will pick a power tool because it's super awesome. Mm. I recently found out that DeWalt makes a cordless heat gun. So the 20-volt batteries that you use for all your other tools, they also have a heat gun, which I've been using a corded one, which it's been really annoying taking an extension cord out when I need it or whatever. So a 20-volt DeWalt cordless heat gun. I love it. And the other one is a Creality CR10 Smart 3D Printer. I had that thing pre-ordered way back earlier in the year to replace my little Up Mini, which was a tiny like 4-inch by 4-inch build platform. This thing does like a 12-inch by 12-inch or 10-inch by 10-inch, somewhere in between there. So it's a much, much bigger platform. I'm already printing some really awesome toys for the kids, like a T-Rex unicorn skull thing that my four-year-old daughter saw and loved. So I've been having a lot of fun with that too. All right. Now I need the link for that. I, and by need, I, you know what I mean. Anyway, uh, Luke, what are your picks? So I've been reading Peter Zhu's series called A Rubyist Walk Along the Seaside, and he hasn't updated it for like a month so everyone should email him and uh, get him to write the chapter on variables because i'm currently trying to put ruby in places it doesn't belong using a combination of m ruby and pain so that's a really great series please encourage him to write some more and the other one i was doing a lot of driving so it's audiobook week this week i dro drove about a kind of 400 mile round trip to 
collect an eBay purchase. And I was listening to the 20th anniversary edition of the Pragmatic Programmer. This is uh, the famous year 2000 mm-hmm. books reissued, I think, last year, uh, year before. And it was it was very difficult to listen to because I do a lot of things that they say you should never do. So listening to the Pragmatic <laughs> Programmer on this drive gave me a massive headache as it, it lectured me in all my bad habits. But no, it's a great book. And if you can if you can get past the uncomfortable feeling of being called to account for your sins, I highly recommend it. Nice. I'm going to throw out a few picks here myself. So uh, if I don't know exactly what to call these. They're, I can't remember the exact name of them. Sea lion swim fins. They're snorkeling fins, but uh, I joined the swim team about a month ago. And my coach, one of the things that we use in the pool is, is fins. And so if you want your uh, quads to burn in a very satisfying way, then you uh, swim laps with those fins on, right? Because it, it's harder to kick the water. You move faster, but there's more resistance. And uh, I had some other fins that didn't have quite as long uh, a fin on them. And so she's like, no, you got to get these other fins so you can keep up with everybody else when we're using them. And so that you can hurt when you're supposed to hurt. And so anyway, pick those up at swimmersoutlet.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, uh, good stuff. Good, good workout stuff. So I'm going to pick those. The other picks that I'm going to throw out. So I'm about three quarters of the way through Atlas Shrugged at this point. And I am I am so much digging this book. I It's funny because I picked it last or yesterday on Ruby Rogues. Or not Ruby Rogues, on JavaScript Jabber. And one of the guys is like, yeah, don't take that book seriously. But honestly... There are so many ideas in this book that are put forward that I feel like are just so smack on with some of the stuff we're seeing in the world today and and kind of calling out some of those issues. So yeah, I, I don't know that I 100% agree with all of the ideas in it, but I agree with the vast majority of them. And I'm really, really enjoying the book, really identify with the characters, can really feel kind of where they're at. And so anyway, I'm, I'm really loving that book. And then... I picked up another book, and this one is... I've got it right here on my desk. It's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I'm about a chapter into it so far, and it's just talking about how to create a life that you can enjoy and eliminate the things that are yeah, forcing you to hurry and things like that. But anyway, it's about living a fulfilling life is really what it's about. And uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. I mean, obviously, I'm only a chapter in, so I can't tell you, hey, you know, it's got the secrets to life or something in it. But anyway, I thought I'd call it out because I'm reading it with a bunch of guys that I talk to on a regular basis. And we usually have conversations about this stuff. The last one we did was Who Not How, which I've picked on the show before. But anyway, I think it's worth looking at. A lot of times in these contexts, we don't talk so much about life and we just talk about code and tech and the tech communities. And we, we all have to realize that there's life when we go home or when we walk out of our home office or whatever, no, right? No, no. <laughs> and so you, you, have to, you have to think about where, where am I going to end up at the end of the day? What do I want? And these books, these kinds of books really kind of make, at least make me think about, okay, what, what is important? What is life? You know, what am I, what's important to me now? What's going to be important to me in a few years? Just give some perspective to what I'm doing. So anyway, really, 
really enjoying that. So those are my picks. Jeremy, how about you? What are your picks? All right, so I'm going to limit, my, limit myself to a single pick this time. Pick is uh, Xanadu Next. So uh, Xanadu Next is an action RPG game originally released in Japan in 2005. Uh, it's by Nihon Falcon, the same uh, company that develops the E-series. That was my pick last time on the show. Anyways, it finally got translated into English and released on Steam in 2016. So the, the graphics are pretty primitive compared to pretty much any modern game. But the gameplay is a lot of fun. Puzzles are interesting. The soundtrack's really good. Uh, it's usually only about 15 bucks, and you can get about half that if you get it on sale. So if you're into action RPGs, uh, old school action RPGs, give it a shot. Sounds like fun. And that's it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thanks for coming, Jeremy. This was fun. This was awesome. Yeah, I look forward to coming on uh, again soon to talk about the book. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'm looking forward to you coming on and making Luke feel bad about what he's doing wrong in Ruby. <laughs> well, my, my book is very much not you're doing it wrong, but hey, there's various ways to do it. These are the best. No, are no, no, no. You haven't seen what I'm doing. That's true. That's true. <laughs> true. But in general, the book is very much about these are the trade-offs. Make sure you choose the one that's appropriate for your application. Is more much like don't do this. Yeah. I think in the book, there's only a few things it says never do. One of them is the limits, the arbitrary limits that Rubocop enforces, like five, you know, what is it? T- 10 lines per method or X number of methods per class. Never do that. Never enforce that. It's always a terrible idea. But all, other than that, there's almost no other things where the book says never do this. You know how many Rubocop exceptions there are in the code base I work in at work? Yeah. So here, <laughs> Disable, enable. So the um, one of the things that the book talks about is if you're going to use RoboCop, there's that's something called all cops disabled by default. So you disable everything by default and you just enable what you actually use and will benefit from. So that's one of the recommendations the book makes. Um, again, if, uh, interesting. if all the recommendations become an issue, that's one of the things you can do. Huh. All right. Well, well, you have something to look forward to, folks. Is uh, Yeah, I, I love some of these ideas. So, yeah. All right. Well, till next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.